Hey, this is Nikki McCrary, lead pastor at Eastern Heights Baptist Church in Statesboro, Georgia, where we exist to be a life-changing church. So as you listen, I pray that you will be encouraged in your walk with Christ and that your life will be forever changed as you grow in your relationship with Him. All right, good morning. Congratulations. You win the prize of getting out on the nastiest day of the year so far, I think. Anyway, it seems like it's been a while since it's been this nasty, but welcome to Eastern Heights family today. If you're new, uh, my name is Nikki McCrary, and I would love to meet you uh, before you get gone, so I'll be at the uh, doors over here on the way out, and so uh, come by and let me shake your hand and get to know who you are. We're glad that you're here with us today. If you haven't heard or met uh, Nathan Jones yet, uh, he is the newest member of our leadership team here at Eastern Heights. He's our new youth pastor, and he got moved in this past Monday, and he has been at it all week long, and so uh, we're glad to have Nathan with us. There you are. I was trying to find you. Give him a hand. Yes. Anybody that takes on 6th through 12th graders as their occupation in life, you need to pray for them, all right? I'll just leave it at that. But anyway, we're excited about our youth in the future here of Nathan and his ministry. Well, we're going to continue our series today. If you're new, we've been doing a series the last few weeks called Walking Out of the Wilderness, right? Where we're trying to study the book of Exodus and get an understanding of this incredible story of God delivering his people, the children of Israel, out of bondage. We're also using it as a platform about how that God wants to lead us out of the different wildernesses and the bondages that are in our lives today. And so far, we have looked at the fact that God has delivered us from the wilderness of fear, the wilderness of pride, and the wilderness of pointlessness. Because you know what? God wants us to live in freedom. So today, we're going to talk about the wilderness of something that we're all familiar with, and that's inadequacy, right? The feeling of inadequacy. Because you know what? Life is full of disappointments. And we learn that from an early age, whether it's the toy that you didn't get or the ice cream that you wanted and you didn't get, or maybe you tried to make a certain team and you didn't get picked for it. Maybe later on it was a job that you didn't get. No one can go through life without experiencing disappointment at some point, but no one should go through life feeling like they are a disappointment, yet so many do. This feeling of inadequacy is very prevalent in our society, and it's so oppressive because here's the most difficult part about this particular bondage. It's a self-imposed prison. It really is. I mean, who in here hasn't had the thought at some point in your life, I'm just not enough? I mean, how would you fill in the sentence, I am not whatever. You know, I'm not smart enough. I'm not attractive enough. I'm not friendly enough. I'm not positive enough. I'm not popular enough. I'm not healthy enough. I'm not wealthy enough. I'm not talented enough. I mean, we could go on. We've all had these thoughts, and I believe social media has increased these thoughts exponentially, right? Because every time we check out one of these platform, somebody is posting and essentially saying, my kid's better than your kid. They do better in school than your kid. I mean, look at my kid's report card here. Remember those bumper stickers? You know, we we don't need them anymore. We have social media, right? Oh, by the way, my job is so much better than yours too. Just look at all the fun I'm having. And then my favorite, my vacations are so much better than yours. I mean, look at all we're doing. You know, look at where we're at. 
And then my least favorite is your food. Look at how much more tasty my food is than your food. You know, I'm sitting there eating a hot dog. It's two days old, and you got some thing laid out there. No, I don't want to see that. I want you to bring that to my house. Okay, come on. And oh, by the way, one of the reasons I post so much my opinions on all these things is because I'm definitely a lot more smarter than you, and my opinion is a lot better than yours, right? So we can feel as significant as a sand gnat on a windy day if we're not careful. And that's the way Moses is feeling. He's felt this way now for decades because he's been out there for about 40 years tending the family flock, right? You remember how we talked about Moses growing up in Egyptian royalty. He was rescued by the Pharaoh's daughter and adopted into Pharaoh's palace. And so he had everything he could have ever wanted, but he had this burden for his own people, the children of Israel, to be set free. And so at a very young age, he committed a murder in hopes of inciting a rebellion so that the children of Israel would rise up against Pharaoh and, and set themselves free. But they were too scared or too whatever, and they did not do it. And so this plan of Moses became an epic fail to the point where Pharaoh was trying to kill him. So he had to run and leave town. And it so affected him, I believe, that his confidence tank just got emptied out over these periods of time because this failed attempt that now Moses was finding himself living in was a wilderness of inadequacy that he needed to be delivered from first before he was ever going to become the deliverer of his people. You remember last time we saw God, God was a revealing God, right? He'd come to Moses in this burning bush, and he says, I've got a plan, Moses. We're going to set the children of Israel. uh, We're going to set them free. We're going to set my people free. We're going to rescue them. And Moses is totally on board because for 40 years, this has been the burden on his heart, right? And he's absolutely convinced that this is the right move, but he's equally convinced that Yahweh has picked the wrong guy to lead it. So let's go back to chapter 3 and look at how God speaks to Moses and more importantly, how Moses responds. Verse 10, God says, now go for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, who am I? to appear before Pharaoh. Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And now see, that's one of the most important questions that you must answer. Is the question, who am I? And you know what? You're getting an answer to that to every, every day whether you realize it or not. Somebody's trying to answer that question for him. So Moses finds himself saying, who am I that I should go? And so like many of you, it's not so much about an identity crisis for Moses as it is an inadequacy crisis that Moses is having. So he spent these four decades, 40 years out there in the wilderness. And I believe every day of those 40 years, he has had to relive his failure. And so he's got all these doubts about himself and about his capacity to lead and to do anything, to lead anything more than a flock of sheep. I mean, he pr- probably half the time he's losing half of those, right? He is totally unconvinced about his youth- usefulness for doing anything for God because the last time it really was messed up. And these feelings, I think, over 40 years can kind of settle in deep, don't you think? He cannot imagine a future in light of his past. That's, that's where he finds himself. So essentially he's saying, okay, Yahweh, Right plan, but wrong man. I'm not your guy. 
Now, you're saying, well, Pastor, three weeks ago you said that, you know, uh, he was too full of pride. That was his problem. Well, now he's coming saying, you know, who am I? Isn't that a good thing? Well, who am I can reflect either meekness or it can reflect weakness, right? Weakness of character. And normally I have one takeaway, as y'all well know, but today I've got four takeaways for you, all right? But I'm going to go through them pretty quick. First of all is this. First takeaway is don't confuse the virtue of humility with the prison of inadequacy because they're not the same thing. True humility denies self, but true humility never denies the capacity that God has to use you in some form, in some way, to make a difference in some people's lives. Moses is faking humility here. And the reason he's doing it is he, it's because of his reluctance. It's because of his fear. It's because of his wounded pride. And God keeps trying to take him to the mission in this message, if you'll notice. But what does Moses do? He keeps trying to turn the conversation back to himself. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. It says, but Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Notice how Moses is making it all about him. Does that sound familiar? And so what we see God doing is shifting the narrative back to himself. And again, God reveals himself as he always does. You see, we don't have to go try to find God. God will show us who he is. He, he always has and he always will. And God comes along and says, I am. And so when God reveals himself to you and he reveals more of himself to you, the reason he's doing that is because he's got more for you to do. So when you get a revelation, that's God's preparing you to do something special for him. It's going to be great and awesome. And so God's going to go into this deep dive about who he is, not only for Moses, but for us to see today too. Look at it, verse 2. Then the Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? So they're talking about going to the Pharaoh and all this, and Moses is trying to talk about how he can't do this and he can't do that, and what if they don't believe me? And then all of a sudden God just says, hey, what's that in your hand? I mean squirrel, right? That's what I was thinking. I'm a squirrel. I'm with it. You know, I see squirrels all the time. But anyway, he said, what's that in your hand? Moses said, well, it's a shepherd's staff. Moses replied, throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff, and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back. Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. <clears throat> so Moses reached out and grabbed it. And it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Praise the Lord. Verse 5. Perform this sign, the Lord told him. Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, really has appeared to you. Then the Lord said to Moses, verse 6, now put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak. When he took it out again, his hand was as white as snow with a severe skin disease. Now put your hand back in your cloak, the Lord said. So Moses put his hand back in. And when he took it out again, it was as healthy as the rest of his body. The Lord said to Moses, If they do not believe you and are not convinced by the first miraculous sign, they will be convinced by the second sign. And then the Lord realized there were Baptists in the crowd. And he says, If they don't believe you and listen to you after these two signs even though he said that he would, they would, then take some water from the Nile River and pour it out on the dry ground. When you do, the water from the Nile will turn to blood on the ground. So what's going on here? Moses has contended, I've got a credibility deficit. I, I got nothing here to offer. They didn't listen to me last time. They're not going to listen to me this time. I mean, what's changed since before? And don't miss this because it's so important. I want you to notice how God answered Moses' question. Right? He did not send him down to Barnes and & Noble and tell him to buy a self-help book. He didn't. 
He didn't turn to Moses and say, Moses, now look, bud, you're a glass half empty kind of guy and you just need to think more positive and life would go a whole lot better for you, right? It's like somebody told me the other day, one of the football teams yesterday didn't want to win. No, our coach says every single person on every single team wants to win. They're just not all willing to do what it takes to win, all right? So positive thinking, don't get it done. That's not good English, but it's good preaching. All right. He doesn't say, Moses, you know, I got this new book on how to win friends and influence Pharaohs. You need to go get that one. That's a good one. And he certainly doesn't say to Moses, all right, Moses, here's what you need to do. You need to get up every morning. You need to stand in front of the mirror. I mean, get yourself right there where you can see yourself. Get yourself together. And then I want you to say in that mirror to yourself, I am. I am Moses. And I am bad to the bone. That's not what he did. Because see, Moses' problem was not a small view of himself. It was that Moses had a small view of God. And that's where all inadequacy comes from. Is the focus is in the wrong place. So this is our second big takeaway. Deliverance from inadequacy doesn't require a bigger view of your potential, but a better view of God. There's a big difference. The answer is not to fix, I am not. It is to be fixed on, I am. That's the answer. See, that's God's name. That's what he revealed himself to us as, I am. And I don't think our finite minds can really wrap our heads around what all that means. God's going, I am everything. And everything about me is eternal. I am all that you will ever need, my love, my grace, my mercy, my power, my wisdom, my faithfulness, my goodness, my everything is always there. It never runs out. You ever run out of your good stuff? Well, God doesn't. He never lacks anything necessary to accomplish whatever he has purposed. And don't ever forget that. Whatever he's purposed, he's got all that is needed through you and his church. See, Moses, this is not about your I am notness. It's about my I amness, God is saying. You see, when God calls you or sends you on a mission, he never asks you to do anything. You won't need him to help you accomplish it. Did you hear that? Let me say it again. He never asks you to do anything. You won't need him to help you accomplish it right he never says you know what you don't need me for this one I, I think you got this you just go ahead on and take care of it I'm just going to sit over here I mean there's other problems in the world going on you know anyway so I'm going to do that and you do you, you got this God never says that but God's response always is I am sending my enoughness with you to take care of that situation so what God does is he gives Moses this show-and-tell kind of demonstration to make the point that I am is enough. He says, take your staff and throw it on the ground. And he did, and it became a snake, right? And this, then this is where I see Moses has some good common sense. He runs or jumps away from it, right? That's where Moses and I have something in common. You know, I've told you before, I've got this irrational fear of snakes, and I know it's irrational, all right? I get it. Somebody once said, if, if they have pits in their snouts, that means they're dangerous. And I'm going, who is dumb enough to get that close enough to a snake to see? I mean, that snake, I'm telling you, if it's a snake, it's dangerous. Because I don't care what kind it is, it can give me a heart attack. It's dangerous. It can die. I can die. All right? 
So I, I just need y'all to understand something at this point because I want to make sure everybody gets this, all right? There is never, ever, you listen to this, Nathan, I want you to pay attention to all these young people that you got under you. There is never, ever, ever going to be a time where there is any part of any joke that's going to be any form of funny with me that involves a snake, all right? I don't care if it's a live snake, a poison snake, a non-poison snake, a dead snake. I don't care if it's an invisible snake, all right? I don't want no jokes about it. Got that? All right. By the way, one of the symbols on Pharaoh's headdress was a snake. You know that? And so I believe what God is saying here. Why did he pick that? Why did he choose that particular miracle? I think it's because people were scared of snakes like me. And I think Moses had this fear of Pharaoh and that symbol of that snake. God's going, you know, the thing that you fear is the thing that has to answer to me. I just took that stick and turned it into a snake and then back into a snake. Stick. You don't have to be afraid of that. Same thing with disease and sickness and all these kind of things. He says, all these things that you fear, all these things that you think are deadly, they all answer to me. And Pharaoh answers to me. So I'm not sending you because you're enough, Moses. I'm sending you because I am enough. See, the mission does not depend on your reputation. It depends on God's reputation. That's what he's telling Moses. That's what he's telling us today. It's not on your reputation, it's on God's reputation. Because if people watch me enough, I'm going to fail. I'm going to falter. I'm going to come up short. You're going to find something wrong with me. You won't have to look long. All right? Same with you. So it's not about us and our reputation. It's about God's reputation. So you might think witnessing these two miracles and a promise of a third was enough to motivate Moses and encourage him to get out there and do what God had called him to do. But you know what? Walking out of the wilderness of inadequacy is one epic journey. And some of you know what I mean because you have been living in the wilderness of I'm not enough for a long time. Some of you for decades like Moses. And so it's hard for you to break free and walk out of it. I understand that. So I hope you're listening today because after everything he sees, Moses, like many of you, he's still captive to his inadequacy. And so he begins moving this claim for a credibility deficit to a claim for an ability deficit. Look at it, verse 10. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, Oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been and I'm not now, even though you have spoken to me. I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Then the Lord asked Moses, Who makes a person's mouth? Who? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak? Hear or do not hear? See or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. I mean, this is pretty direct, guys. Look at what Moses said, verse 13. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. Then the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said. What about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he speaks well. And look, he is on his way to meet you now. And he will be delighted to see you. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be with you, both of you as you speak. And I will instruct you both in what to do. Now, there's a lot of stuff right there that we could go into. But I, I, the main one I found interesting, and Moses says, you know, I can't speak. I never could. But we know from Acts 7, when Stephen's given his sermon that he said Moses is powerful in both speech and action. So something changed along the way, and Moses became an excellent speaker that spoke powerful words. 
So here's what bondage in the wilderness does, and I, I don't want you to miss it, because it causes you to not be able to see the capacity that God's already put in you to serve him and other people. And what people see in you and the capacities they see in you, you can't see for yourself because of all your thoughts of inadequacy. You just, you just won't let it go, and you just won't let it in. And so that's what the wilderness will do. It's what it had done for Moses, but you know what? God got fired up with Moses' response. He got mad about it. And so if, if I could give you any little Bible study tip today, it would be if God gets mad about something in the Bible, you ought to pay attention to it. Okay, make sure you don't do that because that's what happened here. Why did God get angry? Because this was not about Moses' lack of confidence in himself. It was about Moses' lack of confidence in God. And that's where our inadequacies have to find the place to overcome it. It's not in us, it's in God. What he's saying is God's not adequate enough to compensate for my inadequacies. You know, your I amness cannot transcend my am notness. And folks, that's closer to blasphemy than it is to humility. It's one thing to be humble, but th this is not that. You know, I think we often read the Bible the same way. We read it like a self-help book, you know? If we just read the Bible, we read it so that we can get just a little healthier maybe. Or we get a little bit happier with things in life. Things will go a little bit whatever, you know. But look, folks, that's not what the Bible is about. The Bible is about who God is and what he's up to and who he is. And, you know, confidence doesn't come from more about our potential, but the fact that we see how big and how great God is. And we start going at life with that instead of our potential. I think things would change up if we got swept up in his purposes instead of our own. So when God reveals himself as I am, the only appropriate response, folks, from us is, well, here am I. I am says I am, and I want you to go. The response is, well, here am I. Send me. I mean, what if Michelangelo said, you know what, I just don't do ceilings. Or Edison said, well, I don't do electricity or, you know, light bulbs and stuff. And Alexander Graham Bell said, you know what? I, I don't do phones. Carl Ben says, I don't do automobiles. Babbage says, you know, I, I don't do computers. And then that uh, Fred Vanderway guy, he said, I don't do air fryers. Y'all didn't know that one, did you? Yeah. But aren't you glad Noah never said, I don't do boats? Or Rahab never said, you know what? I don't do spies. Ruth Never said, you know what, uh, I don't do mother-in-laws. And aren't you glad that Paul never said, I, I just don't do correspondence. I don't write so good. And aren't you glad Peter stopped saying, I don't do Gentiles? I mean, I believe the world is a better place because Mother Teresa never said, you know what, I don't do AIDS orphan, orphans. I think the world's a better place because Dr. King never said, I don't do jails. And I think the world's definitely a better place because Billy Graham never said, I don't do evangelistic crusades. That's not the way you go about spreading the gospel. And see, we all have hope of heaven today because Jesus never said, I don't do crosses. See, when God says, I am, he doesn't want to hear, well, I don't do whatever. Listen, to answer I am with anything but I am not enough that's taking the Lord's name in vain. And we don't ever need to say that. Have you ever thought about that God doesn't have any other choice but to use broken vessels like us? 
I mean, who else is he going to get? How else is he going to go about changing the world? And, and that's the thing. That's, that's part of the brokenness is one of the reasons why you're called to do what you're called to do for God. And one of the ways to get free from the bondage of inadequacy is to understand a little bit better and to reframe what it means to have weakness in your life, okay? And Paul helps us with this. 2 Corinthians 4 says, We now have this light shining in our hearts. That is, if you've asked Jesus into your life and into your heart and given him control, you now have this light shining in your hearts. But we ourselves are like fragile clay clay jars containing... See, I'm not a good speaker, folks. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Uh, Let's go back. We ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God not from ourselves. And see, I just stumbled all over that because it's not about me. It's about him. We've had our three-year-old and five-and-a-half-year-old grandson since Thursday. And praise, uh, I mean, they go home tomorrow, okay? And we're going to really miss them, all right? There's, you know how many fragile things are in our house on a rainy day when you can't go outside? A lot, all right? That stuff been about broken every, every few seconds over there. And so it made me think of this verse today, and, and, and we feel like that. We feel like we're fragile, and yet God has put his light inside of us, and we're running around trying to protect it so it doesn't get broke and spilled out and other people see it or hear about it. You know? But look, that's, that's the way God made us. He made it that way. He wants us to understand that it's not about us because, see, God doesn't want other people to see our potential. He wants people to see his power, and there's a difference. That brings us to the third thing. God doesn't call the gifted. He gifts the call. And I know you've heard that before, but we need to be reminded of that. That's what we dive into in the third session of our D.A.R.E. classes. It's called Recognize, where we recognize how God has shaped us to serve him, how God has wired us up in the spiritual gifts he's given us and and, uh, the passion that we have to do things and abilities that we already possess and our personality, whether it's outgoing or little, you know, not so outgoing or whatever, and all these experiences we've had in life, God shaped us to serve him in certain ways. And we look at how God has done that. And God's saying to Moses here, look, I know you're not enough, but I'm going to help you. I'm going to teach you what to say. I'm going to help you talk. I'm going to give you everything you need because whatever God commands, he empowers. And that's you and I, folks. So when we make ourselves available for his work, what happens is the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. He starts doing a work in us, and then we in turn start doing a work for him that other people benefit from. So not only does God change us, but we end up changing other people. That's what we mean by being a life-changing church is that God changes you, and then God uses you in turn to change other people. So the story's told about a Methodist deacon in the 1800s who woke up on a day much like this except worse, okay? Because a lot of us woke up, well, it is nasty and cold out. It is too nasty to go to church. Well, on this particular day, it had been snowing for days. He wakes up on Sunday morning and said, it is too nasty and cold. I'm not going to church. And then you got to think, well, I'm a deacon. I need to set a good example. So he walks. This is back in the 1800s now. He walks to church six miles in the cold snow. When he gets there, there's 13 people at the church, 12 members and one guest. The guest is a 13-year-old teenage boy. Okay, the pastor didn't even show up. And so they're thinking about calling off services for that morning. They said, who's going to preach? Well, being the deacon, he got the job, right? So he stumbles over something for about 10 minutes trying to make a point. Finally, he just turns to that young 
teenage boy sitting there as a guest says, always look to Jesus. Just always look to Jesus. So that young boy would go home and he would write in his journal that afternoon later on that for the first time that he looked into Jesus. And for the first time in his life, the darkness that was in his life suddenly turned to light. And he asked Christ to come into his heart and to save him. That young boy's name was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And so that deacon would walk home in the cold snow that day, not realizing the impact that he had had on the world that particular day. Because you know that young boy would go on to become known as the Prince of Preachers. He would literally lead tens of thousands of people to Christ during his ministry. And he still impacts the world today. We all still study Charles Hatton Spurgeon. And so it was all because of this one ordinary person who made himself available on a cold, snowy, nasty day. He decided to get up and come to church. And you know, that got me to thinking. That's what a lot of you do every week. Y'all get here early, you open up doors, you turn things on that we all get to enjoy. Many of you get here before the majority of people and you fix food, you fix coffee for those that are just hustling and bustling, trying to get here that don't have time to eat beforehand. You get here early, you set out signs, you put out banners, you get snacks and water ready. You get here before the majority to get ready to teach adults. You get here to teach children. You get here to teach youth Y'all get here early to prepare for worship and to that, the kind of worship that prepares our hearts to get ready to worship God like you did today. You break your neck and you roll in here on Monday nights on two wheels to do celebrate recovery and do Bible studies. You do the same thing on Wednesday nights to teach children and to teach youth. Yesterday at the food pantry, you know, we had a lot of folks up here that were not only serving out here in the cold, nasty stuff, but we had them inside here serving breakfast to people who... Maybe they hadn't had a hot meal in several days. I carried stuff out to a car that would blow your mind if you saw the condition that some of these people are living in. And we were the shining light for them yesterday. We were that hot meal. We were that friendly face, and we were the one that got to pray with somebody, even though they didn't want you, you know. That's an inside joke, but anyway. You know... Some of you get up here on other Saturdays while we're doing other stuff. You know, you're up here with men's groups and women's groups. And many nights while most of us are in our stretchy pants, home relaxing, you're opening up your home for a Bible study and a Christian group to get together for community. And it made me question why. And you know why you do this? It's because none of you have busy lives. I figured it out. None of you are busy. None of you ever get sick. None of your kids ever get sick. Somebody else is taking care of your aging parents so that you don't have to do all that, right? Your kids are getting all A's in school. They never sass you or backtalk you. They have never once given you that I'm disgusted with my life look, right? That's right. You're never tired and you're never busy. You're serving God and other people because you simply have nothing else better to do with your life. Right? See, God's not looking for perfect people with perfect schedules and perfect lives because you know what? That just doesn't exist. What God needs is just ordinary people 
doing ordinary jobs, whether it's turning on lights or locking doors or whatever, just to do your ordinary thing and then leave the results up to God to do something extraordinary because God always does. Do you want to be free from the prison of inadequacy? If so, it's going to depend on how you're going to answer the question, who am I? Stop giving other people the authority to make those decisions for your life. Just quit doing it. You know, Moses went on to have great success. You know why? Because Moses changed his idea about his confidence in himself to having confidence in God. It went from being about him to being about him. Now I'm going to share with you the final thing, the single most important thing that I've learned in all my years of ministry. You ready? It's the final takeaway. You need to understand that freedom comes when you live from a blessing instead of for a blessing. Now, would that not change churches? Would that not change Christianity? Because I know a lot of folks that show up a lot of the time, they're looking for a blessing instead of coming to serve from a blessing. I want you all to think about that as you leave today. I want you all to think about it listening, watching online or listening to a podcast today. Things need to change. You'll never live in the freedom of adequacy as long as you let other people be the ones that have to applaud you and congratulate you on the great job you're doing in life. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me today? Every head bowed and every eye closed, whether in person or online or listening today, I I know that some of you are not very close to God right now. And one of the reasons for that might be this, that you just don't think you're enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not holy enough. I don't have my act together enough. I'm not righteous enough. Can I give you some good news today? That's exactly why Jesus came. Jesus came to say, I am enough. I am the good shepherd. I am the living water. I am the door. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the resurrection. And Jesus came today, folks, I hope you understand this, to be your enough. And so what I want you to do today is I want you to come before God and say, you know what, God, I'm not. I'm not enough, but you are. So cover me with Jesus today. If you do, you'll leave saying, you know, who the Son sets free. Oh, it's free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. So, Father, I'm praying today, and I pray that people would trust more completely in your sufficiency, in your I amness. And I'm praying very specifically against the lie of the enemy that's keeping anyone far from you today, far from coming to you. I'm praying for their salvation today. I'm praying for people to come today and to confess that they are not enough, but that you are. And I pray that they would choose Jesus. I pray for those who have been living in years of inadequacy as a Christian to realize it's not about their potential, but it's about your power. That they would turn their life again over to your power today to be refreshed and revived in it. And we pray all this in God's name. Amen and amen. Hey, before we sing today, uh, as they prepare to sing us out today, uh, we have a new member coming to join us today. His name is Theisman Loveless. Come on up here, Lovelace. I'm sorry, I knew I was going to do that. This is Theisman Lovelace. Come on up. I want everybody to see him. And I want you to put that picture. Oh, there it is. There, there he is up on the screen right there. But Theisman comes today. He 
Um, and CJ got together over on campus at Georgia Southern uh, through the ministry that CJ has been doing for the last year or two. And uh, CJ had the wonderful privilege of leaving, leading Theisman to the Lord and then been discipling him now for a little over a year. And then this past fall had the wonderful blessing of baptizing him. And uh, man, what what an awesome thing. And he continues to meet with him weekly and to disciple him. So Theisman came. Uh, to the church through CJ and Rosanna and uh, Theisman came and attended our D.A.R.E. class and uh, he comes saying today by statement of his faith that he wants to become a member of the Eastern Heights family. So Theisman, man, we welcome you this morning. Amen. And Y'all didn't see it, but Theisman uh, came all the way from the back because he was running a camera. So he's already gotten involved on the media team and serving the church here. So Theisman, we're glad to have him. We'll look forward to all the great things God's going to do. Get back on that camera, boy. Do your job. All right. Good deal. Yes, yes. Let's all stand together. Let's, let's praise the Lord together. We have much to be grateful for and thankful for. And then let's lead to be the church that God's called us to be. And that's to be life-changing. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by this message today. If you would like more details on our church, please visit us at ehbcstatesboro.org.